end of the day is where we've been and we want to keep on uh, we keep want to keep on asking questions we want to keep on provoking some thoughts um, longing that we would stir hunger uh, among us the question that we asked on Thursday night at uh, as we gathered to pray and to worship in the living room is the question that I want to want to ask again this morning it's a question that has just been at the forefront of my mind for the last couple of weeks. And it's the question that I would love you to wrestle with. Are you content? Are you content with just getting through? Or are you going after a breakthrough? Are you content with staying on the surface? Are you content with staying on the shore? Or are you willing to go into the deep? So that's the question we've been asked in, in different ways. But for me, that, that language, I found that language, the, the language that has just, just stuck in my mind the last number of weeks. And I've been thinking about it in different places. I've been thinking about it in our culture, but within our communities. Am I content with the way it is? Am I content with, with how people are living? Am I content with, with the chains that, are, that, that need broken? Have I, be, have I grown content with that's just the way it is or am, I, or am I going to go after a breakthrough? Because what the world needs and what the church needs, what our communities need is for a people who are going to prevail in prayer. And we, uh, we're increasingly realizing that as we engage increasingly with the, with the people within the village of Rich Hill. And it'll be the same for you, no matter where your community, your estate, your neighborhood is, it'll be the same for you, I'm sure. If you've eyes to see and you've ears to hear, you'll recognize and acknowledge that there is people are living in a way that they were never created to live. Every person that we'll encounter today are divine image bearers, people created in the image of God, that through whatever reason have lost sight of the reason why they were created, lost sight of the destiny and the purpose that is written all over their lives. And for us as those that have, those that have been graced, those of us that have caught it through whatever reason, whether it's been passed down, or whether it's been a gradual understanding, or whether it was a moment, whether it was a moment that God just invaded and captivated us, uh, that is, it's our responsibility to call out the destiny, to call out the purpose, call out that divine image that is in each person. And the more I think like that, the less content I am to just allow it to be the way it is. I want to go after breakthrough. I want to go after breakthrough for the sake of the people. And, that, and, and you know what? That, is, that, has been the, that has been our mandate from the beginning. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 18, Isaac is reminded of the promise that was given to his father Abraham. We're still, we still the seed of Abraham. And the call was that I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. I'm going to bless you so that whenever, whenever, the, whenever other people look in in your life, they'll see my character, they'll see, the, they'll, they'll see my nature, and it'll cause them to know me. It'll cause them to know who I really am. And that's the case for each one of us this morning. For those of us that have said yes to Jesus, you've been blessed. You've been blessed, but to be a blessing to others. To live in such a way that people would see the character and the nature of God lived out in your life. And as I think about the church, I love the church. I want to give the rest of my life to serving the church, 
to, 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 to be a part of this, this moment of her being made beautiful, of her being made right, to be presented spotless and blameless before the Father, the bride of, the bride of Jesus. And there's times, and I'm responsible for this because I make up the church, that I look at it and it's not the way that it should be. She doesn't always behave in the way she should behave. She doesn't always react in the way she should react. But I'm, I either be, there's a, there's a way that we can look at that. We can be, the language we used on Thursday night, we can become discontent. And discontent usually means a critical, judgmental spirit. Or we can have this holy discontent that we, that we the language we used on Thursday. That we wrestle with, this is not the way it should be. This is not who you created us to be. There's a holy discontent rises up within us, but more than anything, before I, before, because it's easy, it is really easy to, to look and have this holy discontent rise up as I look at culture, as I look at the church, but actually it needs to start here. This, and I don't want to be discontent. There's, I'm tempted at times, because self-deprecation is our thing, isn't it? Part of, you grew up in Northern Ireland, you have self-deprecation, we do that really well. And I, and so sometimes it's really easy just to become critical and judgmental of self. But actually I'm trying to be, I'm trying to stir this holy discontent that God, this is not how you, this is not what you want for me. This is not how you created me to be. And I'm, and I'm longing for more. I'm not, I'm no longer just content with just getting through. I'm no longer content with this. It's just the way it's going to be. I'm pursuing breakthrough. I'm pursuing breakthrough. I'm going after breakthrough. And so all of those things that cause us to grieve as we think of, think of our own lives, our culture, our church, Whenever it comes from this place of grieving, whenever it comes to this place of God just beginning to weep, the people and places are not living the way that he is longing them to live. That is, the, that, that is what becomes foundational. That becomes the foundation of our prayer life. And yesterday there was a, there was, um, a few of us spent some time with Eugene and, and, uh, and how Eugene defines prayer. I've just been thinking about that the last few hours and, and, uh, and how Eugene defines prayer is hearing from God and agreeing with God in what he wants to do. Hearing from God and agreeing with God in what he wants to do. I want to read Romans chapter, Romans chapter 12. I, I bought myself a new Bible uh, last week. First time I bought myself a new Bible in such a long time. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's, it's a common, I suppose it's some sort of paraphrase paraphrase Bible. I use it alongside my my NIV Bible that I that I usually use. But it's been the Old Testament is done by by an Old Testament scholar by called John Golden Gay, a man who've come to really appreciate the writings of and uh, the New Testament is done by N. T. Wright, another another author, another theologian who's had a great influence on my on my thinking and my formation and all of that. And so this is how this is how N.T. Wright um, translates Romans chapter twelve, uh, verse one to two: Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Worship like this brings your mind into line with God's. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Worship like this brings your mind into line with God's. It goes on, don't let, your, don't let yourselves be squeezed into the shape dictated by the present age. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And today, 
this morning I want to ask, I want to question you, I want to, I want to invite you to consider what would it look like for us to go to, into a deeper place of worship? What would, it like for, what it would be like for us? What would it look like for us to, to walk, to live in a deeper place of worship? I, I've, again, if you're, or if you're willing to be honest, or maybe you're just nothing like me, but there's times that we can sing and there's times that we can pray and not worship. I'm not sure if you know that. Like we, like Jason and the guys led us so well today. They, they led us in song so wonderfully, but we could have sang along with them and not worshipped. And I've become aware of that when I walk, when I walk around and, and walk around our village and into this rhythm of praying around our village. There's times I realize, I, do you know what, I can, I can pray all the, all the right words here, but never worship. I can sing and I can pray and, and I can give. I can give, I can do all of those things without worshiping. But I can't worship, I can't worship without, without singing. I can't worship without praying and I can't worship without, without giving. John chapter four, verse, John chapter four is an incredible chapter of the Bible. And uh, it's the, it's a story of the woman at the well. We're not going to go into that story uh, today, but I'm always struck by the response of Jesus um, in John chapter four, verse 23, just in this dialogue that he enters into with, with this woman. In verse 23, he, he tells her that the, that, that, that the father is looking for worshipers the paraphrase, the Father is looking for worshippers, looking for those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And as we gather here this morning, and as we wake tomorrow, as we go about our, our, our week, as we go about our every day, the Father is actively seeking worshippers. He is actively seeking worshippers. As his eyes with and uh, the Chronicles, Second Chronicles, the, the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro, and, the, and He still does that. He's because He's actively, He's actively seeking worshippers. And so, so whenever you, whenever you hear that, whenever you read that, what is it that comes to your mind when you think of of worship? What is it that comes to your mind when you think of what it is to be a worshipper? And maybe the first thing that comes to your mind is is maybe the the hour that you that you spend in, with in your morning devotions. Maybe it's the hour that you spend whenever we, we have our times of prayer uh, in the living room. Maybe it's the times where you shut down everything else and you stick on your worship music in the house and, and allow that, just allow yourself just to be in that, that atmosphere of some incredible words being sung over you. What is it that comes to your mind when you think of worship? Who are the type of, what is, what is the worshiper? What is, who is the type of worshiper that the Father is actively seeking? And if you're to delve even just a little bit into the, the word worship, you'll see that the word worship is translated as to kneel down. It's to kneel down or to lay yourself on the ground. Actually, the full, the, the full, the, the full translation of it seems to be that it is to kiss the ground. To kiss the ground, but it's but it's just that idea of, of of bowing. It's that idea of laying prostrate. And every time I see that, every time I I I I watch and I look and see someone lying on the ground before the Lord, 
kneeling before him. Every time it speaks to me of surrender. Every time it speaks to me of submission. And the, psalm, the psalmist is, is, is riddled with this language. Come, let us bow before the Lord. Come, let us bow down before our maker. He is our God and we are his people. The psalmist catches that so often throughout, throughout his journey with, with the Lord. Come. Sometimes I read it and it's like he really has, to, he really has to, to persuade himself. He really has to get himself there. It is a real conscious decision that he has to make. Come, let us bow down. Come, let us bow down. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before our maker. He is our God and we are his people. And so to worship is really simple. To worship is to surrender. To worship is to submit. I remember listening, in the, listening to Francis Chan. Francis Chan, is a, he was a church pastor in the United States for, for years. And he'd become like a bit of a celebrity pastor. Get caught up in that celebrity church culture that that uh, that there is all around the world. I'm not going to just criticize America because I'm afraid of Sachem. But uh, but uh, that it's it's all over. It's the, the temptation so often before us to give in to this celebrity uh, Christian culture. And uh, Francis Chan ended up leaving the church and and, uh, and and going to Asia to serve the Lord to plant churches. Now he's back home in San Francisco planting churches and in, in, uh, housing estates, uh, apartment blocks across um, some of the most broken parts of America. But anyway, he, uh, he t- in, in telling this story, he recounts uh, one time at the end of the church service that somebody came to him. And I'm sure that maybe you've heard this language before. Some of you will maybe have used this language before. Uh, one of the members of the congregation came to him at the end of church and said that, uh, Francis, I didn't get anything out of worship today. I didn't get anything out of the worship today. Maybe you've, there's a few smiles. That, I don't know whether you're smiling because you've said it or whether you know that somebody else has said it. But, um, but his immediate response, I love that his response was so immediate. I didn't get anything out of worship today, Pastor. And he's like, that's good because it was not for you. It wasn't for you. To worship is to surrender. To worship is to submit and so whether, the, whether the Jason's sultry tones suited your palate today or not, that's not, what, that's, not the, that's not the definition of worship. To worship is to surrender. To worship is to submit. And you'll see that every time you, you read through the Old Testament, you'll see it in the psalmist. And, and, you'll, and you'll see it every time that it's mentioned throughout, throughout the Gospels. You'll see that language being used when it, comes to the, when it comes to the wise men going to see the baby Jesus and to worship him. To bow down. To bow down before him. To come with an act of surrender. To come with an act of submission. And so if we are, if we are wanting to just get through, if we are wanting just to stay on the shore, then we will we will be content with singing songs on a Sunday. We will be content with our one-hour devotional. We'll be content with our attendance in church. If you just want to get through, 
if you're content with just getting through, if you're content with just staying on the shore, keep on singing songs. But if you're going after a breakthrough, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna wrestle with this in our own lives. We're going to wrestle with this in community. What does it look like then to worship in spirit and in truth? Because I think to go after a breakthrough, to go out into the deep, it's going to mean worshiping in spirit and in truth. And so I think there's more for us more for us to say on this maybe over the next couple of weeks. But just for the last few minutes today, I want us to I want us to consider the Old Testament picture of sacrifice and worship that we're given. We're to take a we're to take a skim through our Old Testament. Over and over again you'll see the Old Testament a picture of worship was the intentional act of building an, building an altar. The picture of sacrifice, the picture of worship was the intentional act of building an altar. And if you want to go to a few places, I, 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 I love Genesis chapter 12. It's become, become a real a key verse for me. I think a real key verse for us in in. Uh, where we find ourselves, where the Lord has taken us. We really felt comforted in the call of Abraham. We decided to come here. We decided to move into the heart of our, our village. There was a sense that we, we knew this much. This is how far we knew to come. But beyond that, we're not so sure. And there's something about the story of Abraham that, I, that just, I've just been able to resonate with. Because Abraham heard the call of God. He heard God say, Abraham, it's time to go. He said, leave your country, leave your people, and leave your father's household and go to the land. And, right, Lord, where is the land? Well, I'll show you. But I'm not going to show you until you go. I'm not going to show you until you begin to walk in obedience. And he gives him this promise. He tells him that he's going to make you a great nation. He's going to, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And, the, and he goes on to say that the people of the earth will be blessed through you. And so Abraham left just as the Lord told him. Abraham left just as the Lord told him. But this is the, this is the, this is the point. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Sechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abraham or to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And so in response to the promise, in response to, the, to what God has spoken, to the assurance that God will be with him and God will go with him, he built an altar there. He built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and he pitched his tent. And with Bethel on the west and I on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. I love how John Golden Gate translates um, this Hebrew scholarship, he, he says that, <clears throat> that Abram built an altar for Yahweh and called in Yahweh's name. He built an altar for Yahweh and he called in Yahweh's name. And for me, this is a beautiful picture of worship. It's a beautiful picture of worship because Abram didn't know where he was going. He wasn't aware of where the next step was going to take him, but along the way, he built an altar. He built an altar at the great tree of Morah. 
He worshipped, he surrendered, he submitted, he submitted all his agenda, he submitted all his ways and came to the place and built an altar as a, as, a, as, a, as a place of sacrifice, as a place of worship. And then he did it again as he continued to go, he did it again, he went up, he went up into the hill country and he built an altar to the Lord and he called him the Lord's name. It's a stunning picture of worship because as we've already said, worship is submission, worship is surrender and here, is the most wonderful example of surrender as he stepped into the unknown. He was stepping into the unknown and he continued to worship. He continued to surrender. And if you go on a few, verse, a few chapters, you'll see, you'll see Isaac. You'll see Isaac in, in, uh, in chapter 26. Have this, again, these verses have become really significant for us as as, a, as being part of the Tabar, the Tabar network, that Isaac went and reopened the wells that his father had dug, but he also dug for fresh wells. I swear at a time where, and, and that's, what, that's what thrills me about next week. That's what thrills me about next Sunday because we're, we're wanting uh, to join with the, the old, we want to join with the old traditional church and, and pray along with them, pray along with our, our, our fathers. We want, to, we want to gather the new church too. We want to gather those, those churches, those wells that have, been, that have been dug fresh by the sons. We want to join together and, and, uh, and worship. Join together and pray and seek the Lord together. Hear from God and agree with him what he wants to do. 24 and 25, verses 24 and 25 of chapter 26. That night the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Don't be afraid, for I am with you, and I will bless you, and I will increase the number of, this, of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. And so here again, Isaac built an altar. He came to that place once again of worship, once again of surrender as God reveals and reminds him of his destiny and his purpose. I'm sure at this moment, Isaac had no idea how it was possible that this promise was going to be fulfilled. But God comes, he has this encounter with the Lord and he reminds him of who he is. He reminds him of his promise. And in response to this revelation, in response to, to, to this encounter, to this reminder of the destiny and the purpose that is on his life, he, he surrenders once again and he builds an altar. And Jacob, Jacob does the same. Continues just to be passed down from generation to generation. And in uh, chapter 35 of, of Genesis, we're told in verse one that God, God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who are with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So Jacob builds an altar. He had to, he had to flee. There was, a certain, there was a certain level of uncertainty around Jacob. He was fleeing from his brother. He had, he had found himself uh, needing to be needing to be purified because he led his people in, in some, uh, into some wrong things. 
They had to get rid of the foreign gods that were among them, but God still comes. He still comes and reveals himself. He still comes and, and restores the promise. And so in response to, to Yahweh coming, in respons- response to the Lord, uh, meeting with him in his, in his point of need, in his place of deep distress, Jacob builds an altar. Jacob comes to that place of surrender. He comes to that place again of worship. And so he builds an altar because God responds when he is in a place of distress. And we'll see it with King David. King David in First Chronicles chapter 21. First Chronicles chapter 21. And, uh, and David wants to buy this. He's instructed to buy this piece of land. And, uh, and the guy wants to give it to him for nothing. King David, just take it. You can have it. But David says, I'm, I'm not taking it for nothing. Because I'm not, going to, I'm not going to build an altar. I'm not going to worship. I'm not going to take this bit of land that has cost me nothing. I'm not offering to the Lord that which has cost me nothing, is what David says. And so he builds an altar. He builds an altar knowing and expecting that it's going to cost him something. We heard, we, heard, um, we heard recently a lady say that salvation is free. Thank you, Jesus. Salvation is free, but revival. If we're going to start talking about revival and renewal and the restoration of all things, that's going to cost us everything. Salvation is free and revival is going to cost us something. And so David built, a, built an altar knowing that this was going to cost. And that's what, that's what happens at that place of, of true surrender. That's what happens at the place of submission. God, I'm, I'm, offering, I'm offering you myself. I'm, I'm, I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice. Because I'm not going to bring to you something which costs me nothing. And we could, we could, we could keep going on. We'll see it in the life of Gideon. The story of Gideon is another one worth reading. Read it in Judges chapter 6. But Gideon thinks he's about to die because he's, he's, seen, he's seen the angel of God. And, and God comes and says, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And so Gideon builds an altar and, and calls it Yahweh Shalom. We've talked about peace this morning. And that's what Gideon did. He built an altar and he called the altar Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. But there's one altar that I want to talk about for a few minutes as we, as we, bring, this, as we bring our time to a close. And it's in 1 Kings chapter 18. It's the story of, um, it's the story of Elijah and the prophets of, of Baal. 1 Kings chapter 18. Again, we could, we could spend some, we could spend all morning just looking at this at this story. Elijah was, Elijah was a prophet and he was living in a time of rebellion and idolatry. And what struck me this week as I read this, this story again was that um, verse 30, verse 30 in 1 Kings chapter 18, <clears throat> that the altar of the Lord had fallen into disrepair. Or the altar of the Lord was in ruins. Elijah said to the people, come here. And they came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. 
which had been left in disrepair, which had been ignored, which had been abandoned, and in a time of rebellion and idolatry, and that's what had happened to this, to the place of worship. That's what had happened to the altar of the Lord. What struck me, it doesn't say it in, my, in this version I have before me, but one of the versions that I read said that Elijah first, Elijah first repaired the altar of the Lord. He first repaired the altar of the Lord. And if you're familiar with the story, after he repairs the altar of the Lord, he calls the prophets of, of Baal to come and see who, where, who can have the fire of their God fall. And so, so the prophets of Baal dance around and potentially make themselves look foolish. Elijah makes fun. He makes fun of their attempts to try and get their God to, to listen. But nobody listened. Nobody heard. And so Elijah it came to his turn and he filled the he filled the, the, the altar with water. And he did it another time and he did it a third time. So the water was running down the altar and it filled the trench. And Elijah stepped forward and he prayed, O God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. The fire of the Lord fell and burnt up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and it licked up the water in the trench. When the people saw this, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And so it's been my prayer, and it was my prayer again this morning as I walked this as I walked around this village. Lord, let your fire fall. God, let your fire fall. Consuming fire. Fan into flame a passion for, for the name of Jesus. And it was on the rebuilt altar that the fire of the Lord came. It was on the rebuilt altar that everything else that stood in opposition to God was put to shame. Everything else that had stood as, a, as an opponent to Yahweh was put to shame. That's what I'm crying for. That's what I'm longing for. That feels like that's part of the part of this this going after a breakthrough. Going after a breakthrough. It means, it, however, that's going to look. I'm not maybe fully sure yet. But first of all, repair the altar of the Lord. First of all, get, come back to the heart of worship. In the heart of worship, it's. It is to surrender, it is to submit. So first, rebuild the altar. First, turn again to the Lord. Fix your eyes once again on him. Lay down your lives before him once again. Come on, let us kneel before him. Let us lay down before him, for he is our God and we are his people. First, let us repair the altar of the Lord, and it's on the rebuilt altar that the fire of the Lord came. And everything, so whether it's back here, in these days, back on the, on the top of Mount Carmel or whether it's here in Rich Hill, God, anything, Yahweh, anything, Lord, anything that has is, that is taken the place of you, anything that has been given access into this community that is not of you, that is, that is in opposition to you, that is an idol, 
that is an idol. As we rebuilt the altar and call the fire of the Lord, would you put them all to flee? Would you put them, everything else, that is not of you, that stands against you, would you put it to shame? But for me, there's something about the, the altar. For me, there's something about rebuilding the altar. To once again, to lay our lives down. To once again, come to that place of surrender and submission. And say, God, let your, let your fire fall. So I've been asking myself, what, what is it that we're going to build with? What does the building of this altar look like? I'm not, I'm not, we're not going to gather. We're not going to gather a load of stones and physically do that this morning. But, but what is it that we, that we spiritually build with? What is it that we build? Where is there disrepair? Maybe we need to ask that. Where is there disrepair? First of all, we want to rebuild the altar of the Lord. And I think we build with, with holy expectation. And maybe this is where we come back to another time. We build with holy expectation. God, we, we believe that you want to speak. We believe that you want to come. We believe that you want to encounter us. We believe that you want to encounter this community. And so we come, we begin to build with this holy expectation. We begin to, we begin to build with this, I think, with, a, with this way of solitude, with this way of stillness that we've been talking about. The picture of Elijah in comparison with the prophets of Baal is completely, is completely opposite. He stands. You just have this picture of him standing quietly, silently. Now, God, let your fire fall. A holy expectation, a stillness. And I, and I know maybe for some of you it's not maybe in your personality, but, but worship, to worship, to surrender, to submit, it's physical. To worship, it involves our whole being. It involves everything. It involves arms high, hearts abandoned, kneeling on the ground, face on the floor. And maybe, maybe there's part of you feels, well, I'm not, like, that's not my personality. That's not what I'm comfortable with. And I get that because I, I, have, I have been there, and, but sometimes I have to catch myself on and say, Neil, it's not, about, it's not about what you're comfortable with. It's about what he is asking of you. As we come with holy, we build with an expectation. We build with 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 stillness. We build with our whole beings, and we build with obedience. And I finish with this: worship. Richard Foster said this: worship begins in holy expectancy, and it ends in holy obedience. And listen to this challenge: if worship does not propel us into greater obedience, it has not been worship. It begins in holy expectancy. It ends in holy obedience. And if it doesn't propel us to holy obedience, it hasn't been worship. So Father, I pray that you would, you, you would help each one of us. You would help each one of us in the quietness and the stillness of our own hearts um, to be really honest, to be really vulnerable. God, to come before you asking, where is, where is there disrepair? Where is there in my life, where is there in my heart, in my mind that needs rebuilt? And as we rebuild the altar of the Lord, as we repair the altar of the Lord, as we come once again to that place of surrender and submission, that we do it with an expectation, with a holy expectation, with a stillness, with a confidence, with all of our being, and with just the desire to be obedient, as we see, as we've read briefly today in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Gideon. We want to get to that place of obedience. So would you would you take us further? Would you take us deeper? In Jesus' name. Amen.